Well, again, thank you guys for showing up tonight. It's nice to have some live people to teach. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians 6, and uh, I am not going to guarantee that we're going to get to the end of it, but I will say that what we're dealing with tonight is really all one unit of thought, so we'll see how far we get. Let's pray together and then we'll jump into this. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to teach your word. I thank you for those that are here in the room and for those that uh, have joined us or will join us online. And I pray that we will be available to your spirit. We will be receptive. We'll allow you to speak to us and we will be willing to do what you say. And I pray, Father, that uh, my mind will be open and available to you to speak to and through in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump to uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, which is up here on the screen. And um, I'm going to read this in the ESV. I've made one adjustment in the ESV over here, which we talked about last week. Um, So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, we'll read that. First, um, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now you'll see up there that what I did uh, is I separated out nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. And I told you why last week. That's actually the translation from the NASB. There's two different words that are used there that may well mean Uh, the active and passive partners in a male homosexual relationship. So that's why uh, ESV groups it together and just says, nor men who practice homosexuality. But as I said last week, that I think is erroneous as well because this word that NASB translates effeminate doesn't just refer to men. It refers to soft, uh, uh, someone who, who loves luxury, someone who is sensual in nature. Right? So it's not just related to a particular sexual relationship or act. All right. Anyway, we'll move on. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So I like this and such were some of you. He's warning them. He's helping them to understand Um, that you can't just do what you want to do and call yourself a Christian. And there's a real tendency to understand grace that way. That grace just means that now I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Grace means that God has made you right in spite of what you've done and in spite of the mistakes that you may make in the future. He has justified you. He has put you in right standing through Christ. With that right standing, I receive the Holy Spirit, right? That's the born-again experience. My, my spirit is reborn. I'm reborn. I'm given a new nature and a new mind. And so I should be producing, and if that has happened, I will be producing um, a different set of behaviors. I'm going to speak differently. I'm going to act differently. I'm going to think differently. So if you have people that are still practicing these things that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9, and 10, then it's evident that they weren't washed and sanctified. So let's look at those terms. Such were some of you, right? So he's giving 
every confidence that this is not who they are anymore. He says, but you were washed, right? This, so this is this idea of, of your sins being taken away or removed. You were sanctified. Um, you were set apart for Christ, right? Set apart for as God's own people. That's what sanctified means, to be made holy. You were justified. That's the word I was using a moment ago. You were, you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's not just in the word Jesus Christ. In the name of means um, because of Jesus himself. When the Bible says in the name of, it's talking about the person. It's not talking about, we think of the name, you know, uh, the name, uh, you know, Mary, the name Christy, the name Jacob. No, when I say in the name of Maria, in the name of Jacob, in the name of Christy, right, where I use your last name, then I'm saying that that is you, right? That's, that's your personhood. They, they, we don't have the, these ideas of selfhood and personhood in Scripture. The closest we have is this, this concept of, of in the name of. So when somebody says in the name of Jesus, that's not a magic word. Right? I'm just I'm not waving a you know a talisman around you know, in the name of Jesus and that's gonna make it happen because I want it to happen and I'm using this magic word that's not what that even means right uh, so if you were given the power of attorney for someone else that means that you are given the authority to act in their behalf you are acting as them so if with that power of attorney, uh, you had their bank account. You can write checks for them, right? What if with that power of attorney, you started buying yourself cars and you know clothes and whatever? You wouldn't be acting in their behalf. You would be abusing that right. And I think this is what some people do a lot of times. They call themselves Christian, so they put the, the, the Christian suit on but what's under the suit is not Christian, right? So they are literally a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Um, so we're different. Uh, you know, if we look at these, at these labels, and these are, by the way, just as I said last week, when we talk about these, you know, these different sins, if you will, sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, um, effeminacy, this, you know, sensuality is really should be a better term, uh, homosexuality, stealing, being greedy, uh, being a drunkard, being a reviler, a swindler. We're not talking about someone who commits a sin, right? Remember what I, I did last week, and this came straight from my theology professor. I said, sin is not this, check mark. That's not it. That's a sin, that's a failure, but that's not what he's talking about here. We're talking about sin, plural, we're talking about a pattern of behavior, right? So when we're talking about this, we're not talking about somebody who, okay, let's, let's look at uh, a drunkard. He's not talking about somebody who got drunk at some point in time, somebody who fell short. And he's talking about someone who on a regular basis uh, gets drunk, uh, reviler. This is, this is really like a slanderer. I didn't go over that uh, last week. This is a slander or an abuser. This is this could, really could apply to somebody that's a bully. And by the way, um, just in passing, 
a lot of the abusive behavior that goes on um, with uh, priests, preachers, police officers, it's like bullying behavior. If you look at some of the situations, the higher profile situations with police officers, it may or may not be racist, but it's definitely bullying. This is like somebody that was a bully when they were in school. And so they wanted to become, they wanted to have that power over people, right? So somebody who enters into the ministry, maybe they feel like they have power over people and they're a bully and they wanna use that to bully. Somebody wants to be a police officer and they're a bully and so they take that power that they have over people and they use that to bully people. That's why you need to be careful. You get pulled over by a police officer, might be a good police officer or might be a bully, right? And if it's a bully, they're gonna try to push, push and push and they're gonna get their way, right? Uh, your best bet, if you you know want to have uh, some sort of recourse later, is to just very very carefully memorize their badge number, say yes sir or yes ma'am, and bite your tongue and put up with all of their garbage that they're you know they're feeding you, and then later you make the appeal, right? But you don't want to. Bullies are all about power, right? So when you get into a a personality conflict, a power play with a bully, they're always gonna try to win. They're always gonna try to fight you. And that's probably not what you are and what you wanna do. So that's this term though that is being used here. Uh, it is translated reviler in the ESV, but it is uh, loidoros in Greek, and it means slanderers or violent people. Um, it applies to the bully. It can apply to somebody that's a gossip, right? A slanderer. They talk down about other people. They talk badly about other people. So it's kind of a, a broad term. But this isn't talking about somebody who commits a sin. Again, the check mark. This is talking about somebody who is involved in a pattern of behavior, but they want Christianity to save them, right? To, you know, to give them right standing with God. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, if you have right standing with God, you're going to have a different sort of life. You're going to live a different sort of life. You're not going to continue living the life that you once lived, right? But such were some of you. That's an important point to be made. Um, if you have genuinely opened your heart and allowed Christ to come in, then you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's what he said. You've been washed, right? Um, you've been made holy. You uh, should be growing more and more like Christ each day. And you should choose to believe his word instead of the lies that the world is propagating. See, this is the problem. Um, I don't know that America has ever been truly a quote unquote Christian nation, but it was certainly founded on uh, a lot of Judeo-Christian principles. And you could have someone like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. that could call people back to that and people could, uh, could realize, right, wow, he's right. But now we don't have those principles any longer. It's your truth and my truth. And so I, I remember somebody saying recently that they didn't think that what MLK did uh, in the 60s would work today because people don't have that same conscience any longer. And uh, so it, that may or may not be true. Um, you know, he, he followed uh, Gandhi's tactics uh, of, uh, um, uh, of protest but peaceful protests and so forth. Um, and it might not, it might not work today, largely because we don't have that underlying set of Judeo-Christian ethics that we can appeal to. I mean, there was a, a broad 
exposure and understanding of uh, the scripture in our society, even when I was younger. And when I was younger, we'd already moved, you know, I'm older, but, uh, you know, we've, we've moved far away from the, the Bible-based world that uh, was once uh, in our history as the United States. I had lots of conversations with Mr. Vernon about this. Uh, those of you that don't know, he was our oldest member that passed away last year. And he was 96 when he passed away last year. Um, but he did grow up in that time period when, you know, you could leave your door unlocked right? When you could trust your neighbors. Uh, it was a different world, right? It's, it's hard for us to imagine, but it was a different world. Now, there were plenty of other issues and plenty of other problems, and racism was definitely one of them. Um, so this is not a, an effort to say, hey, let's go back, except to say we do need to go back to that foundation, um, because then you can call people back to these sorts of things. But today, what we find is justification Instead of us being justified by Christ and being saved from our, our sinful behavior, we have justification for sinful behavior, right? Oh, that's not wrong. So, I mean, the Apostle Paul mentions homosexuality here. Well, that's not wrong. In fact, if you preach that, you get yourself in a lot of trouble. If I had a bigger audience on, uh, on YouTube, it could potentially get this video canceled, right? Well, I'm not saying that, you know, one of these practices is any worse or better than the others. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you are, uh, if this is a pattern of behavior for you, if this is your life, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say it, the Apostle Paul said it, right? Um, so we need to continue to believe the word of God. We need to let that wash our thinking. That's why, uh, you know, again, I send you guys scripture almost every day, <laughs> I had to be reminded yesterday. Um, frankly, that, that, that meeting on Monday uh, went late and I was just very preoccupied even the next morning when I woke up on Tuesday, which uh, was yesterday when I should have sent out your daily scripture. But all that to say, um, if you text the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, the word to 94000, I'll send you a daily chapter of scripture. Uh, but, you know, that's just one way that you can get, uh, get into the Word. You can go to the, the Bible app, uh, Bible.com, or it's called YouVersion, the app that you can get for your phone. And there's a lot of different Bible reading plans. But you need to be in the Word because we have a world that is dramatically opposed to Christianity in our day. Um, but we need to believe uh, the Lord's word instead of the lies the world is propagating. We've been made right because of our faith and the righteous shall live by faith. That's what the Apostle Paul repeats from Habakkuk. Um, we've been given right standing with God and we've been given a new nature that produces righteousness. Um, here is Titus 3, 5 through 7. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs through the hope of eternal life. And then this from Ephesians 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, 
through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. And then this from Colossians 3, 3 through 7, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, is coming, excuse me, in these you once walked when you were living in them. So he says the same thing to the Colossians that he's just said to the Corinthians. This is the way you used to be. This can't be the way you still are, right? And then this from Romans 6, 5 through 6, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's Romans 6, 5 and 6. Um, and uh, this from Romans 8, 1 and 2, and then 5 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, once again, he affirms to these Christians that he really, really believes that they're saved. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Listen to that again. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's why we say, you know, receive Jesus in your heart, okay? The Holy Spirit literally comes inside and transforms you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So um, understand then that these patterns of behavior, although they uh, indicate that the person who is uh, involved in them, who is committed to them, is not going to inherit the kingdom of God, he says, that is the apostle Paul says, I have confidence that that's not you anymore. And so receive that conviction from the Holy Spirit that you either are his or you are not his. And if you are not his, you can become his by simply opening up your heart and saying, Lord, I give up. I give my life to you. Come into my life and change me, right? Believe that Jesus died, that he died for your sins, and that he rose from the grave. That's why that cross back there is empty. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. All right, let's go to the next section of scripture here. Although I just read a lot of scripture, uh, we're gonna jump into 1 Corinthians 12 through 20, and I, again, I don't know if we'll get through all of this, but I'm gonna go ahead and read this because it's one thought. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
And God raised the, excuse me, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord, that is Jesus, becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So let's look at this first thing that he says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me. This is something the Corinthians were saying, okay? Now there's no such thing as quotation marks in Greek, but because of the way that this is framed, you would in English possibly say, all things are lawful for me. What they're saying is, hey, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore, right? Uh, we don't have to only eat certain foods. Uh, we don't have to only uh, you know, rest in certain ways on Saturday. Uh, you know, the, these Old Testament laws no longer apply to us, but they were extending that to these other behaviors, right? See, God designed you, he designed me. And so we don't get to just have our own set of morals and behaviors. We need to align ourselves with Jesus. And so the Corinthians were apparently quoting this, all things are lawful for me. So there are two things, or two extremes, I should say, uh, that we should avoid if we're following Jesus with our, our Christian life, if you will. The one extreme is legalism, right? That we're just, we're going into the Old Testament and we're trying to follow all of these laws, right? We're just hardcore about it. Um, the Apostle Paul addressed concerns about this in Galatians, for example, also in Colossians and in Romans. Um, a group of Jewish teachers were seeking to convert new followers of Christianity, which back then they called the way, to Judaism. And they believed that in order for someone to be a Christian, they must be a Jew first. So they were telling men, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be circumcised first. Well, that would have gone over like a lead balloon in Greek society, right? The only people that were being circumcised back then would have been Jews. Uh, there would have been nobody in Greek society or Roman society that would have been circumcised. That would have killed Christianity right there. So this was one of the early battles that the Apostle Paul was fighting. He was saying, no, that right of circumcision relates to the covenant that God made to Abraham and to his, uh, his seed, right? The, the descendants, the physical descendants of Abraham. And that the need for that circumcision ended with Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of that covenant, right? So as the result, that's an example of something that has passed away. But you know, uh, we can still go back to the 10 commandments and, and see what God's expectation is, uh, would be for morality, right? You know, you should only worship one God and uh, you don't worship any idols, you don't make any idols. And that includes Christian idols. I said this before, I've got three paintings of Jesus in this room. There's one in the back of the room, there's one right here, and there's one up above my head over here. But we don't bow to those, we don't pray to those, we don't worship those, okay? There's a cross back here. We don't worship the cross. Um, these are just reminders to us of who we do worship. So yeah, there's still no idolatry and we, we don't make idols. Um, 
Uh, don't use the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, listen, this, that's the third commandment in the 10. So I'm, sh I'm showing you that this, this still uh, impacts us and, and the Holy Spirit still convicts us with these 10 commandments, even though we're not under that law, this law has been written on our hearts, okay? So this should resonate with you if you have Christ in you, right? The third commandment is don't use the Lord's name in vain. When I was growing up, my dad said the name Jesus Christ a lot in our home, and it was never because he was worshiping. It was always because he was cursing, which is it's kind of amazing to me. So these days, somebody says that in my presence, I say, you know, stop, please don't. Don't use the name of my Savior like that. You can use my name. Just say, Daryl Hall. Probably won't sound as good, right? You know, Daryl Hall, right? Don't say GD, you know. Say, Daryl, dang it, right? You can use my name in vain. I don't care, but don't use his name in vain. No, it's the same thing, okay? Um, Christians worship on Sunday instead of Saturday because Jesus rose on Sunday, so we still observe a Sabbath, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, or at least we should, a day of worship, a day of rest. Um, honor your father and mother in the Lord. Uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, uh, do not bear false, uh, do not steal, do not bear false witness and do not covet. Well, all of those things still apply. That's, that's a moral law, okay? So, um, but if we're legalistic, then we're going to say, in order to be right with God, you have to be keeping all of these commandments. And the Judaizers were in fact saying that. Um, and so that's not correct either. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, in, uh, let me look at where this is, Acts 15, one and two, we find that that question was answered, asked and answered. Uh, in the Jerusalem council. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching their brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. That's uh, again, Acts 15. So the question was settled by the apostles who had agreed that the Gentiles should not be burdened with the law. Here it is. This is uh, Acts 15, uh, 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that would be the followers of Jesus, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. So we still want to keep these ethical commandments, but that's not what saves you. Right? You may have heard those Ten Commandments and you may be saying, well, you know, I pretty much keep all those. But that's not what saves you. Christ saves you because Jesus kicked it up a notch. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you've already begun that process in your heart. If you say raka, which meant empty head, if you say you fool, and by the way, do you know what the Greek word for fool is? Moros. Yeah, we get our English word moron from that. So right now, yeah, I mentioned this on Sunday, but I'll mention it again. We have all this debate over masks, right? Trying to keep the infections down. Um, over the last three days, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, there have been over 4,000 infections in Dallas County, right? So that's higher than it's been. So Clay Jenkins, who I'm not a big fan of, wants everybody to wear masks again if they're going indoors. 
The governor said, that's their business, not your business. So the governor said, yes, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask, but you shouldn't be required to wear a mask. And so he put an executive order out there. What I see online, you may be seeing. There are people that think Clay Jenkins is a moron and he's power hungry, he's power drunk. And there are people that think Governor Abbott is a moron and they're calling names like this. Jesus said, if you're calling people that, you've already committed murder. Ouch, we need to be saved, don't we? I mean, I'll be honest, I, you know, I was mad enough at Clay Jenkins a ways back to spit. I was calling him the little dictator, okay? <laughs> it's probably not good either. That's why I need to ask forgiveness. So the decision was made to encourage the Gentiles to refrain from offending Jews, other Gentiles, or violating God's design for sexual expression. Listen to what their decision was. This is Acts 15, 19 through 21. Therefore, my judgment is, this is uh, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus and the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Well, some of those things don't seem to make sense to you and I, but they were an effort to keep the Gentiles who were closely involved with Jewish converts from offending the Jews, right? Because if you ate meat that had just been strangled and not properly bled out, that was offensive. If you ate anything that was like rare meat, okay, you might like a, a rare steak or even a medium rare steak. Even a medium rare steak has got some blood in it. You might like that, okay? Uh, James was saying, don't eat that in the presence of a Gentile because you're gonna offend, or excuse me, in the presence of a Jew because you're going to offend them. So the primary issue here was let's not give an offense. But notice he says abstain from sexual immorality. Well, that's all of these sexual sins that we find popular in our culture today because God created the human body. Jesus affirmed what is taught in Genesis. He said, this is Jesus speaking, have you not heard that he who made them from the beginning, that's God created you, made them male and female. And a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then as we say when I officiate a wedding, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus right there just affirmed very clearly that God created you either male or female, and then he created you as a female if you are to be married, to marry a male, if, he, if you are a male and you are to be married, he created you to marry a female. We can't just rewrite sexual ethics, right? So sexual immorality covers all of these things that today are just being openly embraced. And uh, that's one of the, one, there are several of the things that the Apostle Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 that are oriented to this sexual immorality. Um, so, um, the other extreme we want to avoid, so that extreme was legalism. We want to avoid legalism, okay? The other extreme that we want to avoid is license, right? Um, that was the challenge in Corinth. They knew that they weren't under the law, but that doesn't mean that they were, nor are we, free to do anything they pleased. We've already observed that the apostles taught the Gentiles to avoid giving offense or violating God's design. Beyond that, Paul indicates that there are common sense principles to follow, even though there's no formal relationship to the law. And we'll look at those two principles next. First, let's observe that the law 
is fulfilled by Christ. You need to understand that. The law is fulfilled by Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you will fulfill the law, right? If you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the law. You don't have to keep a long list of commandments, but let's just think about it. I just did a, a quick listing of the Ten Commandments a moment ago. If I love God, am I going to worship other gods? No. If I love God, am I going to make an idol and bow down to it? No. If I love God, am I going to use his name as a cuss word? No. If I love God, am I going to fail to set aside a day to worship and rest? No. If I love my fellow man, am I going to kill him? Am I going to commit adultery and take his wife? No. Am I going to steal from him? No. Am I going to lie, bear false witness in court? No. Am I going to want what he has? No. Do you see how all you got to do, you don't have to have a list of commandments. We're not under the law. We're in Christ. But if I'm in Christ, then I just have to remember to follow him, to love God and love people, and everything is going to be all right. Okay? Um, so we need to avoid that idea that we can just get away with whatever we want to get away with because grace allows us to do that. And unfortunately, there are too many people that are that way. Um, listen to this uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, this is from Galatians 5, 13 and 14, and then I'm going to read Romans 8, 1 through 4. Um, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, if I love my fellow person, then I'm going to try to help them, right? Somebody, you know, sitting out here on a bench and they need a meal. Well, I'll go get them a meal. I did that for a guy earlier today. But you know, somebody that's out here on the square and, you know, they want money and they're just going to run over and, you know, buy some meth, then I'm not helping them. I may assuage my conscience by just handing them a $20 bill, but I'm not helping them. I am keeping them in that behavior, right? So I'm going to do what I can do. I had a man here earlier today um, who uh, needed some money to pay his phone bill, so I let him clean our bathrooms. That's not the most pleasant thing to do, but hey, if you need money, you need money. I've cleaned our bathrooms. Um, the point is, you're going to do what you can for people as you are able to do that for people. And then this from uh, Romans. There is therefore, this is Romans 8, 1 and following. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that's the other appeal. If you have the Spirit in you, the Spirit is convicting you. The Spirit is going to lead you. And that's why we're not under the law, because we're under the Spirit, right? So the Apostle Paul says, okay, here's your statement. All things are lawful for me. But then the Apostle Paul responds, but not all things are helpful. Another translation says, but not all things are profitable. And then the Apostle Paul repeats their proverb again. All things are lawful for me. And you can almost hear him say, right? But I will not be dominated by anything. Another translation says, I will not be mastered by anything. So there are two principles outlined by Paul, and they're framed in the negative. First, 
not all things are helpful. So when I'm trying to make a decision and I don't have you know, any direct guidance on that, right? Should I do this or shouldn't I do this? Um, so this applies to me and others. I've had opportunity to influence. The Greek word means to bring things together, which would help us to understand the, uh, the implications for others. In chapter 10, verse 23, Paul makes the application to others more clear, uh, at least for English speakers, when he states, quote, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. So he uses that same idea again, right? Um, all things are lawful, okay, but not all things build up. Not all things are beneficial. This is an extension of Christ's love, which is the guiding ethos for all Christian principles, right? So we're to love one another as Christ loves us. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other the way I've loved you. Well, so the old frame of reference for loving one another was love others as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we don't always love ourselves properly. In fact, we might not love ourselves at all. Now, we're not talking about an emotion here. Most of us take care of ourselves, right? I mean, you know, you you eat and you bathe and, but not always, we don't always do that well. So it's, it's not like the best standard, but it was the only standard available until Jesus showed us his love by dying on the cross. So when he said a new commandment, he wasn't saying that love was the new commandment. He was showing us that this, the, there was a new standard. And now the new standard is love each other the way Christ has loved you. So in order to do that, you don't have to love yourself. You just need to receive his love. That's why I tell people, stop worrying about yourself so much, right? Don't love yourself. Don't loathe yourself. Just put yourself over here. Get yourself out of the windshield. Put yourself over here, you know, on the side, in the rearview mirror, and go forward with your focus on Jesus. Let him love you, and then you will have the motivation and the strength to love other people, right? So the focus then is on Jesus and not just looking inside myself and saying, I need to fix myself. If I'm ever going to love anybody else, I've got to love myself first. Well, this is what psychologists would tell you. But I'm a Christian preacher, and I'm preaching the Word of God, and I'm going to tell you what you really need is you need to let Jesus love you. If you let Jesus love you, then you will be able to love other people, right? You just, uh, and that's something you can do by just assenting to it, accepting it. But that's why we have worship services like we have on Sunday where, you know, we have music and you can sort of, you know, enter into that time of worship and kind of let Jesus wash over you and love you, right? Um, that's why you should have times of prayer where you're just quiet and you're just open in your mind and your heart and you're speaking to the Lord, but then you're just letting him love you, right? That's why we get into the word and we let him speak to us and, and love us in that way, okay? Christ fulfilled the law, and the law is fulfilled in those who follow the Holy Spirit's lead, which will result in love toward others. The apostle states that love fulfills the law. God is love. Christ is God's gift of love. The Holy Spirit brings Christ into the heart of the believer, and love is the result. So, not all things are beneficial, but if I follow Jesus, everything I'm going to do is going to be beneficial, right? So that's what I need to ask. Is this going to help me? Is this going to help others? Right? So before you post it, is this going to help others? Is this going to help everybody that reads it? Or are you just trolling somebody that you're angry at? Right? Uh, you know, before you say it, before you hit that text and, you know, text it back, before you yell back at that person. That's why Jesus, Jesus didn't say, treat other people the way they're treating you. 
If they slap you on one cheek, then you punch them in the jaw. That's not what Jesus said, is it? No, he said if they slap you on one cheek, then you turn the other cheek. That's not saying don't defend yourself. I teach a self-defense class. I've been teaching karate for 35 years. I got kids in there. I'm teaching them to defend themselves. But at the beginning of the karate class, we quote uh, a statement that is on a monument to a famous karate master named Gichin Funakoshi. So this is not just a Christian principle, right? Um, but I have everybody hold their hands out, empty hands like this. That's what karate means, empty hand. And I have them say in Japanese, karate ni sentinashi, which means karate is for defense only, right? So if somebody pushes you, you don't have to push them back. If somebody slaps you, oh, that makes me mad. You touch my face and that's going to make me really mad, okay? But I don't have to hit you back. But if there's a threat there, right, and it looks like this is not just an offense, right? Somebody calls you a bad word. So there's some homeless folk out here on the square that have been causing some problems for the last, really, month or so. But here, over the last several days, they've, they've caused problems and they've gotten the police called on them a couple of times. And uh, it was raining real hard and I felt bad for them. They were under our awning and uh, it got raining real hard. When it gets raining real hard, our awning is not real long, so they moved on down the square. And I saw them in our cameras, but I didn't know where they went. Well, if you go to the building next door, it's got a deeper inset. So that's where they were. As soon as I came around the corner in the morning, this guy just starts jawing and just saying all kinds of bad stuff. And then after all of that, says, hey, you got any church services tonight? So he's being offensive. And if I was going to be unchristian and act in the flesh, then I would have been offensive back, right? And I would have said something that would have caused him to get offensive back. See, that's what happens. It's like pouring gas on a fire. Somebody calls you a name that makes you upset. You call them a name that makes them upset. They hit you or push you that makes you upset. You hit them harder or push them harder. You see what I'm saying? What Jesus said is treat other people the way you want to be treated. So I went inside and I was really almost going to give them some coffee. I thought, no, they've caused so many problems down here that I just don't, I don't feel confident bringing them in and doing that. Whereas, I give coffee to folks all the time. I help folks as much as I can, right? What I'm saying is if you're out there and you know, people are causing problems and causing a ruckus or whatever, you don't have to enter into that. What I chose to do was literally turn the other cheek. This guy's jaw and whatever, I just went inside. Didn't say anything, right? Treat other people the way you want to be treated, okay? So the first thing, all, not all things are helpful. That's the first thing he says in response to um, uh, all things are lawful for me. And then the next thing he says is, I will not be dominated or mastered by anything, right? So that means mastered by anything outside of Christ. This is an expression of the Christian's prime directive. Love God with all your heart. So are you seeing the, the pattern here? The first one, not all things are helpful or beneficial, is about loving others. Not everything that you decide to do is going to be an expression of love or help to other people. Right? Now this one, I will not be dominated by anything. Well, the fundamental confession of faith for the Christian is Jesus is Lord. Lord. So again, beginning of my karate class, 
I have all the kids. We're on, we're, uh, on the ground on our knees. I'm not going to do that because I think the way the camera is set up, I'll go below this table. But we get on our knees and we get in a Japanese stance. It's called Seiza. And then we do something that's not Japanese, very innovative. It's something that I thought of for us to do. Um, I have all of our kids make a triangle like this, right? An equilateral triangle. And I help them understand that this helps us to remember that God is one God, just like there's one triangle here, but he's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we put that triangle on the ground and we, we're in this stance where we're kneeling. We bend over, put our forehead in there, and we say, in Japanese, Yesu Washunari. Now, my sensei, who was a Christian, is the reason that I got back into karate. I got into karate initially when I was a kid, went to college, got out, came back from college, and there was this karate program in my church. Now, the church that I was going to was huge, uh, so they had a lot of different programs. But this was a big karate program with literally probably 60, 70, 80 people per night on Tuesday and Thursday uh, that were in it. And uh, we would, at the beginning of class, we would bow down, similar, not with the triangle and, and uh, the expression of the Trinity, but we would bow down at the beginning and we would say Christos Kurios, which is actually, uh, in Greek, means Christ Lord. It's not... Uh, it's not exactly the way it would be said, but it's close enough. Christos Kurios, okay? Um, those, those nouns would be, uh, would be spelled a little differently. But nonetheless, uh, I encountered an Okinawan sensei here. In fact, he's local. Um, and our karate system is from Okinawa. It's from uh, Ishinru. It's from Okinawa. But uh, a friend of mine went to him and asked him, how do you say Jesus is Lord in Japanese? And he wrote it in a napkin. Now, I don't know that I still have the napkin, but I took a picture of it. And that's why we've been saying that forever. Well, why am I saying this? The fundamental confession of every Christian is Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the master and I am the servant. So I will not be dominated by anything it means I'm not letting anything else gain mastery over me because I've already said Jesus is the master, right? I've already given charge of my life to him. I've said, not my will, but thy will be done, just like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it follows then that I shouldn't be allowing anything else to gain mastery over me. Um, I am showing that I love God above everything. I'm showing that I have no other gods before him. You see how that all works? So this all fits together. Um, so what are some things that would gain mastery over you? Well, honestly, we allow addictions to gain mastery over us, and then we need help to get under, out from under them. Um, and you do need to seek help, and don't think you can't be saved if you've got an addiction. But we need to realize when something has a hold of your want to, that's the worst possible state you can be in. So uh, I have heard people say, and I'm not just picking on one uh, type of uh, behavior over another. But I've heard people say, for example, well, marijuana is not addictive. I'm fine. I smoke weed. It's not, it's not addictive. And yet, I have known people for years who will crater their lives because they'd rather smoke weed. So an example, I was mentoring a young man some years ago. He got in some trouble. Uh, he was John. He was drunk. He was high. 
he'd taken some bars and he threatened a guy and the police came and they'd been in trouble with the police, him and his brother, many times. And so the police were real rough on him and I think that, I think that they were too excessive. Uh, they weren't abusive as in physical or anything like that. Uh, but they hung a class two felony on him, a class two felony because he threatened a guy. Well, see, it got even worse. He's drunk and high. They put him in the back of the police car and he threatened the cop. It's like I said earlier, you may be, you know, it may be a, a good cop or it may be a bad cop. You've just got to be quiet and be respectful and let them just do what they're going to do. And then you can come back later with an attorney or whatever it is, because listen, they can do some pretty horrible things. I've been on the bad side of that. But this young man gets a class two felony hung on him. That's a lot. He doesn't have money for an attorney, so he has a court appointed. The court appointed did a pretty good job. Got him class two felony in Texas. That's going to get you eight years. Got him off uh, on probation, but he had to see his PO regularly and he had to take a drug test regularly. My man loved weed. And so he going to smoke weed. And he knows if he's smoking weed, he's going to have to take a drug test and he's going to fail the drug test. And of course, I know there's all sorts of things you try to do to dance around that. But the reality is it's kind of hard. Okay. Um, so he stopped seeing his probation officer and started hiding. And this is also what? So he could smoke. Don't tell me marijuana is not addictive. If it gets a hold of your want to, it's addictive. It's not addictive like heroin is, right? It's, as far as I understand it. I mean, heroin, you go through physical withdrawals. Okay. Alcohol can get to that point. You can be so addicted to alcohol and been drinking so much that you go through physical withdrawals when you don't drink alcohol, right? Um, my point is you can let anything gain mastery over you by letting it get a hold of your want to. I've got to want Jesus more than I want these other things. And that may include, I've got something that is got a hold of me so much that my love for Jesus has got to be up here. So now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get help. I'm going to get in an NA program, an AA program. I'm going to go to whatever help I need to get, to get out from under this. Right. Um, but that's a way of looking at whether something that you're doing is wrong. Is this, does this have mastery over me? By the way, Ladies, it is too often the case that women, and sometimes men as well, allow a man to have mastery over them, right? Mm -mm. Jesus is Lord, not that man, right? And even your husband needs to understand that. Even your wife needs to understand that. Jesus is Lord. We both need to be under Christ, right? So that's important to understand. Um, I'm going to conclude with this, even though we didn't get very many verses into this. This is really important. Um, I want to conclude with a, a quote from Timothy Keller. He's a preacher in Manhattan at a church out there. He states uh, in his comment about Martin Luther's teaching regarding the idolatrous, the, uh, the idol-making nature of unbelief. He says this, anything we look to more than we look to Christ for our sense of acceptability, joy, significance, hope, and security is by definition our God. 
something we adore, serve, and rely on with our whole life and heart. In general, idols can be good things, family, achievement, work and career, romance, talent, etc., even gospel ministry. These are good things that we turn into ultimate things to give us significance and joy. Then they drive us into the ground because we must have them. Keller says, a sure sign of the presence of idolatry is inordinate, that is disordered, anxiety, anger, or discouragement when our idols are thwarted, right? When they are blocked. So if we lose a good thing, it makes us sad. But if we lose an idol, it devastates us. So that's a good way of understanding whether something has mastered us, whether it's become an idol. So allowing something other than God in Christ to dominate me has devastating and far-reaching consequences. Keller continues, Luther also concludes from his study of the commandments that we never break one of the other commandments unless we're also breaking the first. Remember the first is have no other gods before me. We do not lie, commit adultery, or steal unless we first make something else more fundamental to our hope and joy and identity than God. When we lie, for example, our reputation or money or whatever is at that moment more foundational to our sense of self and happiness than the love of Christ. If we cheat on our income tax form, then money and possessions and the status or comfort from having more of them have become more important to our, our heart's sense of significance and security than our identity in Christ. Idolatry then is also the root of other sins and problems. So, um, of course, the one thing that dominates uh, over Christ too often is me, self. Uh, an illustration of this may be found in Calvin Miller's allegorical tale called The Finale, which is the last book in his trilogy about the singer. This is an allegory where the singer is Christ, okay? Uh, in the trilogy, the singer is Christ and the world hater is Satan. The finale has the world hater deceiving the people of Terra, Terra is, is Earth, with a familiar tool, the mirror. Appropriately, the world hater calls himself, not world hater, but the Prince of Mirrors. And the gift that he gives is a medallion with a mirror on it to hang around the neck of each recipient. Now here's from the finale. The Prince of Mirrors returned from preaching throughout the empire. On every continent of Eleanor, men stood enthralled, staring at their images. We wear one face, behold a common glass, they sang. Elan closed all temples to the troubadour. The troubadour was Jesus. He decreed that all who sang the star song would be imprisoned. The star song was the gospel. Here, the hater said, pulling the mirror from his pocket, here is the doctrine by which men most bend to our control, man's fascination with himself. In this small glass is subjugation so complete it wipes away the universe. As long as men behold themselves, they will look no higher. In classical Greek, uh, the image of selfish idolatry is Narcissus. How many of you have heard of a narcissist? That word comes from this myth of Narcissus. Narcissus was once walking by a lake or river and decided to drink some water. 
He saw his reflection in the water and was surprised by the beauty he saw. He became entranced by the reflection of himself. He could not obtain the object of his desire, though, that is himself, his reflection, and he died at the banks of the river or lake from, this, from his sorrow. According to the myth, Narcissus is still admiring himself in the underworld, looking at the waters of the Styx. Um, so today, we have that mirror of the world hater, don't we? It's right here. And we look at ourselves and we admire ourselves. We take videos and selfies. Oh, it's just with pictures of ourselves all over Instagram. That's the primary idol. That's the one that really has to come to an end. And the only way to do that is to say, Jesus is Lord. Allow yourself to be in Christ and realize that Christ died on the cross, not just for you, but as you. For I have been crucified with Christ and no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the life that the Christian lives. And that's why I don't follow these other old patterns of behavior, right? That's why I don't just see what I can get away with because I have grace. No, I want to follow Jesus. I'm a new person in Christ. And I hope that that is the case for you as well. So we will continue in 1 Corinthians 6 next week. Maybe we'll get beyond verse 12. What do you think? Okay, well, that was, uh, yeah, that whole hour was spent on one verse. You like it? All right, well, God bless everybody that was watching online. We appreciate you. And uh, right, so that's the conclusion.